Well, I, I want to thank you. Um, I want to thank you for participating in the service today. I want to thank you for making our service already exalting. There's something about the body of Christ coming together rather than it just being the professionals. And we have a unique opportunity with the size of this room. If it was that much bigger, we wouldn't be able to do a lot of what we do. But because of what God has given us, because of the uniqueness of it, we're given unique opportunities with our worship service. This morning, we're talking about worship. We're talking about worship. And uh, some of this is going to be enthralling. Some of it, you'll be completely bored out of your skull. Some of it uh, will be life-changing. Some of it will really make you frustrated. Some of it, oh, I could just keep going on and on, but why don't we get to it? Let me pray. Lord, open the Word to our hearts. Our eyes will see it. Our ears will hear it but our hearts can miss it. Go beyond the words. Let your Spirit reach to each soul this morning in only the powerful way that you can do. Speak to each person beyond what these words say. Give us attentive hearts and minds. Let us keep encouraging one another all the more as the day comes keeping our eyes on the horizon, looking for your blessed hope. To your glory, Father. Amen. Well, we had a great week up at uh, Hume. Hey, Bruce, I'm going to ask a favor because I had to get these new glasses. I can't see a thing. I'm getting solar flares in my eyes. So if you can bring it down to about half, thank you. Oh, hey, look, there's people in church. That's awesome. Uh, we had a great time at Hume Lake this past week at Pastors Conference, Stephen, Becky, Janine, and I, and uh, you know, every year is a blessing. We get to reconnect with pastors that we know from all up and down California, and I have to share with you that, um, man, do I love bragging about you. I love bragging about you to all my friends. You know, we kind of get there, and, and we're around these big tables. You can put about 10 people around, and and there's all this myopic think tank that goes on in comparison of ministries and this and that and the other. And, uh, you know, I'll borrow a line from a modern warrior of our time. Nobody's got it better. Nobody's got it better. And so I just want to say thank you for being devoted to the Lord first. And being devoted to this place in service. It's fun, isn't it? It's fun. It's restorative. As much as it was good for me to get away, I really enjoyed getting back to be with you. Uh, my wife always gets frustrated with me up there. Uh, and, and here's why. Because they have like this schedule. Now, she doesn't read the asterisk part that's on the schedule, which says basically, and I'm making this part up, you know, is that you're free to do whatever you want because you're on retreat. Um, and I, I uh, really take advantage of that asterisk. Now, I might be putting that asterisk in the program. It might be there. It might not. I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. Um, in my mind, it's there. And so, therefore, it's there. And they have these seminars in the morning. And I think out of 
all these pastors' conferences I've gone to uh, since 1990, um, that would be 23 as I count it, um, I think I've made like 10 seminars. And I just have to escape. I have to have downtime. And as I got to worship, it was incredible. The the speaking that we received, the encouragement and prayer with other pastors. Um, But i got to tell you, there's something about being out in God's glory. And I don't want to be stuck in a building all week long. Um, And so I took time just to sit out in front of that lake and listen to God and to restore my soul. So thank you. It was fantastic. I got to worship. I got to worship. And so this morning we're talking about this. Um, Worship, here's what Tim Keller says about worship. Worship is seeing what God is worth and giving Him what He's worth. Try this on for size. Worship does not satisfy our hunger for God. It whets our appetite. This morning, I'm going to challenge you with this idea of worship. We're in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. You can turn in your scriptures there. I'm going to continue on through our, uh, our study of John. But let me ask you this question or, or pose this phrase. Worship is any righteous act of sacrificial devotion for the glory of God. There's a definition of worship. Uh, I didn't get that from the internet. I didn't get it from some great quote from Moody, uh, Murray, or um, anybody else with a famous Christian name. It's just a good definition. One more time. Worship is any righteous act of sacrificial devotion for the glory of God. So how does that work with what we do as believers? If we're called into worshiping God, and by the way, we're all called into worship, just in case you didn't realize that. You worship something. What did you spend most of your time doing this past week? Just spit it out. Working. You spent a bunch of time working. Now, we're going to go through an obvious understanding there that if we don't work, that uh, we don't survive, Correct. Well, that may or may not be true the way our country's going, but if we don't work, we don't survive. That's part of what we have to do. But sometimes work becomes our identity. Work becomes who we are. It's where all of our passions lie. Some of you are like, no, 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 no. It's not where my passions lie. What else did you spend your time doing this week? Rhetorical question. Where we spend our time is often where we worship. And the interesting thing is, is that we can have a wide variety of people here gathered this morning. Those that fully ascribe to what Scripture says and they have a great relationship with Jesus Christ. There may be those gathered here this morning, though, that aren't there yet. And regardless of what science says, regardless of what psychology says, regardless of pop culture Think honestly to yourself, are we not a society, are we not a species, if you will, that has to worship? And if it's not God, we're worshiping something else, aren't we? It's innate within us. We were made to worship something. So the question is, what is worthy of worship? This morning's title is, Jesus alone is worthy of worship. True worship. And so we're going to look at a text this morning that demonstrates this and what does worship look like. So my question is this. Let's just work from the standpoint of uh, 
systematically going through what maybe a believer in Jesus Christ would deem worship. We would start probably with music, wouldn't we? We call that worship. If you looked at our order of worship on any given Sunday, it'll say worship through engaging, worship through equipping, worship through exalting, through different sections of our service. And the reason that we do that is because every aspect of what we do, not just the music, we consider worship. And we try to schedule it that way. Do you think the Lord was pleased with the testimonies this morning? I know He was. Do you think we were encouraged as a body by the testimonies in the Scripture already given this morning? I know we are. That's what worship does. That's what worship does. So, is music included? Yes, but it's not limited to that. Prayer. Absolutely, but not limited. Choices. Our choices are very connected to worship. Service. Those acts of service that we maintain or that we sacrificially give to others for the purpose of Christ. Money. Let's just move on. Time. Yes, our time and how we utilize time is very connected to worship. And let's just put the trump card out there. Life. Let's just say life in general is connected to worship. That hopefully sets the table for where we're going. I'm going to ask you an interesting question here in a second. Or I'm going to give you a statement. First of all, here's the question. Why Jesus? Why would you worship Jesus? That's where we should start. Shouldn't we? If we've already said that we as a people, just by our innate sense, we worship things, whatever it would be, and if we simply are honest with ourselves and take God out of the equation, we can see that. We worship things. There's that need to devote ourselves to something that gives back to us. Or we have the expectation that it will give back to us. What do you worship? So my question this morning is, if we're going to propose that Jesus alone is worthy of our worship, why? Why Jesus? Well, I'm not going to answer that question. I'm going to let Mary answer that question this morning out of the text. Here's what I want you to wrestle with. You ready? You can write this down if you prefer. Effective and pleasing worship to God is dangerous for us. I'll say it one more time. Effective and pleasing worship to God is dangerous for us. Now, hopefully I've wet your appetite a little bit. We're going to start in John 12, and we're going to read verse 1. If I could have someone please stand and read that loudly. We need John 12, verse 1. Anybody? Yes, Samuel. Excellent. Thank you, Samuel. So as we start here, we have left the idea that Jesus came, He raised Lazarus from the dead. We watched that all unfurl. Then the next segment, which was last week, we watched the reaction by the ruling religious authorities. And they aren't happy. That's an understatement. As a matter of fact, the high priest has basically said, has put a bounty out on Jesus' head. He has said, it is much better, and in her, his own words, he's actually speaking prophecy, it is much better that one man would die for the nation than the nation die for one man. He's speaking prophecy and he doesn't even realize it. And so the high priest has put a bounty on Jesus' head. And so Jesus and the disciples escape to the north in, in what would be modern day Ramallah. And they're there for about two and a half months. 
during the wintertime, and, and now they're coming back. And where we are in John is the beginning of the Holy Week. Actually, if you're going to do a comparative analysis, and we'll be a little bit in Matthew and Mark today, we are smack dab in the middle of the Holy Week. We have kind of jumped chronologically past the triumphal entry. We'll see that coming up. But John starts to reveal things out of a chronological order, more thematic than chronological. He'll bounce around here a little bit. But where we are in this moment, and this is important, is Jesus is two days away from hanging on the cross. And Mary knows it. Mary knows it. What is Jesus doing for us? What is Jesus doing in your life or the lives of people around you? You heard Virginia's testimony. You heard Cindy's testimony. Jesus has great expectation. He has a plan marked out. Are we listening to that plan? Are we paying with with great attention like Mary does here? The preparation for the Holy Week begins. Jesus has returned from this two-month hiatus. He seeks uh, shelter with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But they're, they're not at their house right now. They're at the house of Simon the leper. And why is that significant? Because it shows that Jesus had friends. We don't see this gentleman anywhere else in the narrative, anywhere else in the Gospels. But we assume what? If he's known as Simon the leper, he has what? Oh, but does he? In Jewish customary terms, you would never be around a leper in society they would have been banned so what's that tell us about simon he's been what he's been healed and if simon is hosting this isn't in the text but we can kind of assume here be pretty safe because jesus does this what's probably happened to simon he's been healed by christ and so as a token of thanks as a token of worship he hosts a banquet for jesus It's six days before the Passover, but the banquet happens two days before the Passover. So Jesus comes back into Bethany. Bethany is about two miles east. It's on the backside of the Mount of Olives. And he's residing there waiting. There's a bounty on his head. Now, interestingly enough, by this time that we see this little banquet happening, Jesus is going back and forth into Jerusalem. And he's making waves. I mean, he's letting it fly, folks. He is going after the Pharisees. He's going after the Sadducees. He does the cleansing of the temple for the final time. This has just happened. Maybe a day before. This is where Jesus looks from the Mount of Olives and weeps over Jerusalem. This is all preparatory. And so now all of a sudden, Jesus has come back six days before the Passover. He's preparing. And now at this event, it's two days before. There's been a lot happening We glean more from this story from Matthew 26 and Mark 14 than synoptics. You can write that down if you want to do the comparatives later on. We'll talk a little bit about that. Interestingly enough, what John does in his text is that with Lazarus, this is the last of the messianic signs. Jesus is done performing miracles, showing his messianic kingship. Lazarus was the last one. Now it's time. It is his time. Remember, Jesus keeps telling people, shh, it's not my what? It's not my time. Now it's time. And Mary understood that. We'll keep looking. By the way, this event as well was the catalyst for the chief priest to put the death threat out on Jesus. Let's look at John 12, 2 through 3. And I need somebody to read that. Stand up and read that, please. John 12, 2 through 3. 
who would be willing to do that for me this morning? Carl. Amen. Thank you. So our first point this morning, all the preclusionary information out of verse 1, was the story unfolds. Here we go. It's now all starting to become real. How many of you love mysteries? You can't wait till next week when your episode comes on you get the answers you're looking for, right? Yeah, I know you guys. So the first point, with all of that information under verse 1, was the story unfolds. The second point is that the characters now unfold. Now the characters unfold. Who do we have here? Number one, we have Simon. It's his house. He was a leper. He was probably healed by Jesus. He's hosting a banquet. He must have had a decent-sized house over in Bethany because not only was this group of characters there, but as we read in some of the other accounts, there were many Jews there looking inside. He had already stirred up a huge crowd. And so many people were paying attention. Who else was there? Who do we see in the narrative here? We have Martha. And what is Martha doing? Martha is doing what Martha does best. What is she doing? She is serving. How many of you are Martha out there? Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. Martha is there and she is serving. Lazarus was there. What's Lazarus doing? Lazarus is reclining at the table with Jesus. Now, here's something fascinating about the table and and how this would have been done and and the meal. Now, this isn't the Passover Seder. It's just a meal. It's a banquet. And so the table, kind of like, how many of you people really get irritated at the dog going under the table, you know, during the meal? The the Jews figured that one out. So they, they had their table about two feet off the ground. So only like an Israeli chihuahua was getting underneath that table. All right. And, and so the, the table is low to the ground. And what you would actually do is you would kind of recline on your side with your feet behind you. You'd recline on one arm with your head by the table and you would just eat like this. You know? Our next luncheon, we might do that here in sanctuary. We're going to serve spaghetti. <laughs> so Lazarus is there. And all we see from Lazarus is that he's at the table with Jesus. Hey, if I've been raised from the dead... I'm hanging right next to the guy that raised me from the dead. I don't even think I'm saying much. But I'm hanging out next to the one that saved me. That's worship, right? So we've got Simon. We've got Martha. We've got Lazarus. We have the disciples, and we'll see that in a moment. I don't want to jump the gun too much, but we have the disciples that are there. And we have one more person. We have Mary. And what is she doing? Well, Lazarus is reclining. Simon is hosting. Martha is serving. Mary is anointing and worshiping. Mary is anointing and worshiping. As the characters unfold, my question to you this morning is, which character are you? If you were at the banquet, what would you be doing? What would I be doing? Point three, the weaknesses unfold. 
the weaknesses unfold. We need to read verses 4 through 6. Can I have somebody please stand? I had somebody else that was going to do that. Dave, please stand and read that. 4 through 6. Thank you, David. I don't think I've ever called you David. (laughs) You said that with such great eloquence. I was compelled to be more formal. Now, I waited purposefully. We had the story unfolds. We have the characters unfolding. Now we have the weaknesses unfolding. I waited purposefully to comment on what we read under the weaknesses because we have to now examine that in light of I'm sorry, under the characters, we have to examine that now in light of the weaknesses. Judas is bent. Right? Judas is bent. We're going to see something very interesting about that in in a moment. What is he bent about? Mary, in her act of worship, takes an alabaster jar. Now, how many of you have gone to a museum, you've seen the Egyptian... Uh, relics of which I went through the British Museum with Sam over in England and it was a non-stop vitriol of how Britain stole all of Egypt's artifacts. So Sam's really upset about that. Don't bring it up to him. Um, But if you go there, you'll see some of these alabaster jars. They're beautiful. They're absolutely beautiful. Women, I just have to ask you a question. How many of you buy some of your perfumes because of the packaging? The packaging is so beautiful, it entices you. And you may not even prefer that perfume over another one, but boy, that's... Now, none of you are going to raise your hands, right? But, but it's like... And guys, we do that with video games, I guess. Okay. Packaging even has value. And this was a very expensive package. And what's inside of it? It's actually called Nard. And, and, and it was a perfume of sorts. And it was a perfume that was used specifically, maybe it had various applications, but one that we know of is that it is used specifically in burial rites to disguise the what? To disguise the odor. Now, why would Mary take something like that and start anointing Jesus, who is alive with this very expensive perfume. Let's break this down for you. The the perfume was about a pint of perfume. Now, we don't practice anointing during our, our worship service with oil, but if we were to, or if privately you asked me to practice that with you, I would do that with you, or the elders would do that with you. We wouldn't exactly pour a pint over your head. You may not ever ask for anointing again. She uses the whole pint. Even to the the level where it says what at the end of that section? It says that the fragrance, what? It filled the house. This gives new terminology to the phrase, a little bit goes a long way. Right? Something some of our young men need to know, or our young women it's interesting, uh, I, I now am the taxi for three uh, young girls every school day. And I have to roll the windows down sometime because of all the different um, fragrances. 
fragrances that are colliding inside of my compact car. Um, so I've taken a vow never to brush my teeth before I get in that car. So that's my way of warring against all of it. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. The fragrance filled the house. And so Judas is bent. Why is he bent? He's bent, we don't have to guess, because he says, this could have been used for the poor. You see, the cost, not even of the alabaster jar, but the cost of the perfume itself was a year's wages. Imagine this church taking our entire budget of what you give, and we decide to take it and use it on one thing. Steve's salary. No. Well, I mean, I mean, we'll give you a portion, Steve. Um, but, but one thing, we just somebody makes the arbitrary decision, and let's say that that person is, uh, let's just find, let's say it's Matt back here, right? Matt's uh, one of our great high school students, and, uh, but he's not part of our elder leadership. He's not a deacon in the church. And Matt takes the money, he's been given access to the bank account, and he writes a check to uh, uh, Global Missions Outreach. Boom! It's all gone for the whole year. Think the elders would have anything to say about that? <laughs> Somebody said no! Matt, don't get any ideas. Okay. <laughs> Judas is bent. Here's something interesting. In the Matthew account and the Mark account, it's Matthew 26 and uh, I think Mark 14. They give a little bit different account. They use plural nouns, pronouns. Themselves. They. And the understanding is all the disciples were bent. Isn't it interesting? How many of us had this proclivity to say, oh, Judas had a bad attitude here. And it was just Judas. And this is what leads to Judas's betrayal, by the way. That's what John tells us. And we ascribe this horrible attitude of leadership and a misalignment of worship and a misunderstanding of worship to solely who? Judas. The weakness is unfolded. It wasn't just Judas, my friends. It was the disciples. Interesting. Mary goes for broke. Literally. She breaks the vase. Full commitment. Nothing left. And not only does she do that, she anoints Jesus' head. And we see that in Matthew and Mark. But John says what? She anoints Jesus' feet. And she does so with her hair. She is not to be confused with the other individual, the other gal out of the Luke account that does the same thing. But let me tell you that, that this act was something, not the anointing of, with, with the hair, just the anointing of feet was done by the servants of the house. This was not something for the hosts. This was not something that was designed for those, of, those who were good friends. Mary goes for broke in her act of worship. And she does so by breaking the alabaster jar. There's nothing left. She's given everything. And by the way, was it hers to give? The disciples would have said no. 
that's where the weakness was. Her priorities are right. She recognizes Jesus' messiahship and proclaims his death with this action. It glorifies God. Remember, what is, what is the statement we're dealing with here today on a definition of what true worship is? Worship is any righteous act of sacrificial devotion for what? For the glory of God. The weakness or the weaknesses are unfolded. Her priorities are right. What happens? Well, let's look at John 12, 7 through 8. So right now, she's got a whole posse of righteous people that are mad at her. Let's see how Jesus handles this. I need somebody to stand up and read John 12, 7 through 8, please. Anybody? John 12. Yes, David. Thank you, David. It's interesting, Jesus' words here. Do you think Jesus would defend your actions to your greatest critics? When you look at this, this title, this point is the blessing unfolds. The blessings unfold. It's an interesting story about a girl that was in church. Uh, I don't know this person. I've just heard the story. And, and, and it was a five-year-old girl. And uh, the father was having a hard time keeping her, you know, quiet. And the more he tried to keep her quiet, the what? The, more, the louder she got. And so finally, he takes her out into the lobby. And he gets down to her eye level. And he is so frustrated and and upset and feels embarrassed that he caused she caused this disturbance and so he's thinking one particular direction and he gets down and looks her right in the eye this five-year-old girl and he says do you know what you're about to get and she looks right back at him puts a big smile on her face and says a piece of candy <laughs> if you were mary do you know what you were about to get Because the disciples, those who were in charge, those who had been invested in, those who should have known better, those who were being trained to be the examples, were ready to what? Castigate her. She was in big trouble. They were ready to take her out into the lobby, get down on one knee, stare her in the face, and say, you're going to get it. Do you know what we could have done with that? Do you know how valuable that was? And yet Jesus says that was deserving of a blessing. He defends her. He says what? Leave her alone. Wow. How many times in our worship do we mitigate what somebody's trying to do in worship? Because we deem it inappropriate. What would Jesus say? Now, sometimes Jesus would say, yes, that that doesn't have any place. I'm not pleased. But there are other times, my friends, where Jesus would say these exact words to me. Leave them alone. They're blessing me. Leave them alone. They're blessing me. The blessings unfold. 
What greater pleasure than to receive the defense of Jesus Christ and to know that He was pleased by your act of devotion. This is what we receive from worship. So as we give our worship, our attention, our sacrifice, our devotion to Him, we actually gain something back, which is His what? His approval. His defense. His love. There's nothing sweeter, my friends. We do not worship a dead God. It is a dynamic relationship that if we are paying attention the correct way, there is a reciprocation that He brings to us through His Holy Spirit. Through an understanding of what is right, Mary understood. The disciples didn't yet. And she was all in. She went for broke. And it was dangerous. It was dangerous. So this morning, as we look at the story unfolding, as we look at the characters unfolding, and maybe we think, which character do I fit? And we look at the weaknesses unfolding. We examine our own hearts and, and we might say, what part of that do I own that I'm not paying attention to full devotion to Jesus and be willing to give all to Him? Why would I have not been Mary there to the blessings unfolding? Saying, do I see those blessings coming from the Lord because of appropriate worship? Because of devoted worship? Well, let me help you. I'm going to give you some practical application here this morning. First of all, one of the indicators of the affirmation that we have proper worship or we're pleasing Jesus is it shows itself in answered prayer. It shows itself in affirmation. It shows itself in peace and wisdom and contentedness. It truly shows itself as joy in the midst of the trial. True worship leads us to joy in the midst of the trial. There were a bunch of disciples in that room that weren't very joyful. Mary was raptured in joy. She got it. Because she spent time with Jesus, she understood Him. This is the same Mary that if we look in the Luke passage... Now, some of you, how many of you were expecting the little debate between Martha and Mary and Jesus? You might be familiar with that, right? Martha's complaining. She's serving again. And Mary's where? Mary's at the feet of whom? Jesus! There she is again! Now, how many of you were expecting that to be part of this story? That's not part of this story. That precludes this story. So we have a repeat offender of proper worship, don't we? Now, that doesn't mean that Martha was wrong in serving. Don't, don't hear me incorrectly. But where, it's Mar where Martha's weakness unfolded was this, is that she wanted Mary to stop worshiping because it was unfair. You see, Martha's act was an act of what? It was an act of worship. But because that is your act of worship, Mary's act of worship was to sit there attentively giving all of her focus to Christ. Here she is again. She's back at it again. She got it. Because she constantly was going to the feet of Jesus and just listening. She was paying attention to Him. So this morning, I'm going to give you some very practical helps in closing. How do we worship how can we worship effectively? And what, what, what is our, uh, our main statement here on this? Worship is any righteous act of sacrificial devotion for the glory of God. If we, if we lead out improper and effective and pleasing worship to God, 
it's going to be dangerous for us. It's going to be dangerous for us. Well, let me tell you how to make it dangerous, my friends. Some of you are like, oh, no, I don't want that. Rarely do you get the blessing without the effort. If you're bored in your faith, you're not being dangerous enough in your worship. And by the way, worship is here on Sunday morning. But worship is moment by moment in your life. And we're going to show you how to do that. Number one, unfolding our Bibles in worship. Right? Number one, unfolding our Bibles in worship. You can write that down. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you have noticed I've got my big old honking, gigantic, magnanimous Bible right here? How many of you, and and not rhetorical, are wondering why I had you read the Scripture when I had this big old Bible right here? Did that occur to any of you? Did anybody think one? One person, two, three. Okay, now you're coming out. Four. Okay. Because sometimes we never unfold our Bible. We live vicariously through the pastor's words. We live vicariously through someone reading it elsewhere. As a matter of fact, we get so comfortable with coming to church without our Bibles. Because why? Because it's already read for us. I don't need it. I just demonstrated that, didn't I? I don't need to bring my Bible as the pastor, as the preacher. I don't need to bring my Bible to even preach from. I can just have you read it. We need to unfold our Bible in worship. How many of us grab that phone right away when it chirps, tweets, or twits at us? Right? We get a little notification. You know, whatever your sound is. (laughs) You like that? That's not my sound. By the way... I just, I just started texting this past week. I came into the 21st century. All right? Thank you very much. Now, I'm not going to answer any of your texts. All right? Um, so, you know, I just, you know, and, and Janine just got a, a phone that does all that. So, you know, you know it's going off. And, and it's just nonstop. But what do we do? It's right there, baby. Because we got to know what's being communicated. This thing's screaming at us. Let me encourage you what to do about that. How do we unfold our Bibles? Every time you get an email or a notification, set it up so that there's a Bible verse right next to your computer screen or something that you carry around with you daily. Every time you're compelled to read a text or a Facebook message or whatever it is, look at that new Bible verse that day. This is how bad I am at this. I have a, a, a verse that comes up on here every day, a new verse. And it'll tell me what verse it is without me opening it. And I'll think, oh, I know that verse. And I'll just think about it for a minute and then I'll move on. Did I worship? No. I put that purposely there so it would force me to recognize it, stop, pause, read, reflect, pray through, and let it affect me. Unfold your Bibles, folks. Secondly, Unfold our day planners in worship. What? Unfold our day planners in worship. Let's start with this. Church attendance. Thank you so much for being here this morning. You bless me so much. But more importantly, you bless God. Because He says that we're not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. It says that we're to abide in Him. And by having unity with one another, we do that collectively where I cannot glean... The same thing by myself that I can by being with you. 
He wants us to be together. Now, some of you may say, well, pastor, come on. There's, are you telling me I can't go on vacation? Are you telling me, folks, I have just one simple rubric for you when it comes to this issue of our day planners, our scheduling. It's this. If you are worshiping rather than being here on a Sunday morning and you're somewhere doing that, God is smiling down upon you and He will bless you. And I'm going to stop right there. Because the rest of us can fill in the blanks. Do you deserve a vacation? Yes, you do. But I want you to imagine taking a vacation from your family for two weeks at a time, a month at a time. How deep is your relationship going to be? How strong is it going to be? How involved is it going to be? You want to unfold worship. Do it with your day planner. What deserves more attention than Christ in our lives? Let me explain if I'm going to put that out there. What would be a great plan for your day timer? I call it worship plus two. This, I think, is a healthy recipe for us as a local body of believers. Number one, you start here. This place becomes the priority on Sunday morning, our worship service, because everything launches from here, folks. Everything launches from here. Then get involved in either a Bible study or some form of accountability with somebody, preferably in the church because this is our community. But it doesn't have to be. All right. Secondly, get involved in an active service. Now, there are those that overdo it. They're just pushing it. They're burning it at both ends. And, and folks, you don't need to be that person. If God calls you to be that person for a season, then that's what he calls you to. And he'll give you the strength to do it. Worship service. Some kind of Bible study accountability so you're getting fed on a personal level with one-on-one encouragement and then an active service we're going to have a uh, ministry fair coming up letting you know how can you get involved if you're not already involved here at conquer bible church and grow in doing service together in serving jesus christ unfolding our arms in worship what does that mean well, let me ask you, I'm going, to give you, I'm going to paint you a picture. Can you imagine Jesus welcoming you to heaven with folded arms? Is that anybody's picture? Is that how you picture it? Is that how you would paint it? Jesus welcomes you like this. Hey, how you doing? Maybe in New Jersey he would, I don't know. I just, I never give up on that, do I? I just don't. I, I got to let it go. Jesus would not greet you with folded arms, so why do we stand here in worship with folded arms? I'm going to rip this jacket if I keep folding my arms. Why do we do it? You know, I could see some of the disciples in that room, probably Judas, folding their arms. Think Mary's arms were folded? No. They were busy, they were open, they were active. So what does that look like to have open arms? Use everything you have to serve Him for His glory. 
What's that look like? It looks like impact. You'll know it when you see it. It looks like impact. How many of you were hugged by somebody today already coming into church? Anybody? Good. You know, we get a lot of feedback that we're a loving church. We don't get a lot of feedback that we're our, we are a participative church during music in our worship. We get some feedback that our music, our worship through music, is kind of dead. Because there's this terminology that we have that has infiltrated into the church, into uh, Christendom, into evangelical levels, that's this big, hairy word called optional. And so, biblically, I can just decide whether or not I want to participate. And I can hear right now the Israelites... No, I hear a phone ringing. No, I I can hear the Israelites ringing their bells um, outside the wall in the dedication of the wall as Ezra leads them along the wall and he asks them to all stand there, women, children, and men, for the most of the day, celebrating so that the nation surrounding could hear it. It was so significant. It was so unified. It was so involved that the nations could hear it. And right smack dab in the middle of the text, over and over and over, I see the word optional, optional, optional. They opted out. They were quiet. They were observing from afar. Uh, What Ezra was saying was confusing and they weren't sure that they really agreed with it. And uh, the trumpets were too loud and that really disturbed me. Option is killing our worship. You heard me talk about it a little bit last week, that if it's just not our option, we're going to go opt... What? Somewhere else. Because we have that option. That undermines all the authority that Christ has given to your leaders. You know that, right? You're the authority. And if you see yourself as the authority, I think you need to go read 2 Timothy, please. If you want to live biblically. Your leaders are established to choose a path and to choose a course. And if we're unified, folks, you will know it. There will be a flavor to it. The aroma will what? Fill the house. You're not going to get there by dabbing perfume. You're going to get there by acting like Mary acted, by being all in. By being all in. We need to unfold our arms in worship. Wow, we should quit now because there's a lot of tension in the room. It's getting hot in here because the next one's just beautiful. We should unfold our wallets in worship. I give you the full right to stand up right now and leave if it got too uncomfortable. Of course you're not going to do that. Mary's devotion is honored just like the widow who gave everything. Did you notice that? The widow gives everything, everything she had, and Jesus points it out to those who think they've got it all figured out. And He says, you're a joke compared to her. And the disciples are angry because Mary overstepped in her act of worship. And Jesus says what? Leave her alone. Leave her alone. She spent appropriately. My question to you this morning when it comes to our wallets, 
is do we withhold from Christ? And if we do, I'm sure there's good reasons. You know, one of the hardest ones I have to answer is the single gal that's here and her husband doesn't support her. And she doesn't work. And he's not going to support giving to the church. What do you do with that? You pray through it. And you figure out what you can give. But you follow this act of worship where giving is sacrificial and what? We are blessed by God, but it's dangerous in the light of men. It's dangerous in the light of men. So, let me answer that. What do you, what, what do, you do if you are that single gal out there, or that single guy, and, and there's just this pressure? Find a way to just make some something. Something to, to give anything. And it, it can be supplying, helping with food. It can be uh, if you babysit or something. If that's part of your act of worship, something that's of your own that you can give, don't forego the blessing of what Mary just went through because you're saying, I just don't have that resource. Mary didn't say that. She went and she found the resource because it was appropriate. For those of us that don't have any reason, it's just, I don't have enough money. Yeah, you do. Everybody's got money. Everybody's got money. It's just, whose is it? Now, the disciples said this perfume wasn't Mary's. Shouldn't have been used on Jesus, right? Where was it supposed to go? Supposed to be sold to give to the poor. That's a noble act. Therefore, we shouldn't touch it. What did Jesus say about that act? He said, no, it was used appropriately. It was used appropriately. Mary said, even though there's nothing to give, I'm going to find something. And it was dangerous for her. It was dangerous for her. She didn't use 10% of the perfume. She covered Jesus with it. She even broke the very expensive vase with no consideration or recompense of the provider. Let me just mention how our church does so well at this. I have the pleasure of sharing with you that Lifetime was a huge success because lives were changed. Your church has the name of Christ and Christ's grace and Christ's miraculous giving in this community to those who desperately need it. You'll be hearing during Missions Month how all of that unfurled. And by the way, it will always, as long as I'm here, it will always be an act of faith to raise that money. Folks, it is one-fifth of our annual budget that we commit to eight weeks. Does that sound like expensive perfume wrapped in an alabaster jar? We have to raise that money above and beyond what we normally raise. What you normally give sacrificially. It's dangerous. And yet, seven kids' lives were changed for eternity this summer because of what was provided. Forty to fifty kids, maybe even sixty kids' lives were influenced for the cause of Christ. And families were influenced for the cause of Christ because of what was given. And at the end, or the early part of August, we were sweating bullets because there wasn't enough money to make payroll. 
Folks, it costs us between twenty and $25,000 to pull this off. So my math is probably bad. It's not one-fifth of our budget, but it's, you know, it's significant. Can I just share with you that the last report I got from Ruth, because of your worship, because of the unfolding of your wallets, we are $6,000 to the plus. Everything's paid. And we did the cause of Christ. That shouldn't happen with this little old church. But Christ sends His blessings, doesn't He? Lastly, unfolding our hearts in worship. The difference between Mary and the others was a heart issue, by the way. Remember, she was at his feet listening while the others were working. She had devotion. This act of worship came out of a relentless pursuit of Jesus. In your worship, are you relentlessly pursuing Jesus? If you do, you're going to get your answers. If you do, you're going to get blessed. If you do, you're going to engage in worship. Does your heart need some worship training? Well, start with this. Go back to point Two, which character are you in the room? Which character are you in the room? And which one do you want to be? How do you know the heart of worship? Well, let me ask you this. Who can worship with folded arms? Who can worship with folded arms? Your heart, your arms, your life need to be open to worship and dangerous worship, and then see what happens. And here's the, the measuring stick. You'll be criticized by man, but you'll be praised by God. Worship is any righteous act of sacrificial devotion for the glory of God. Is this true of us? Last week, a Syrian Christian was killed in front of his fiance. An Islamist terrorist pulled them out of the car and cut his throat from one end to the other turned to the fiance and said let's see your Jesus save him now person after person has had a gun held to their head and said renounce Jesus and claim Allah as the only God and they're dying because of their worship They're dying because of their worship. And the Lord will accept them into a rich reward in heaven. We may look at that and we may say, that's harsh. You can never know that unless you're in that position. Yesterday, there's 59 and counting dead in Kenya. As terrorists entered a mall... And the report that I saw on TV from an eyewitness account was that the gunman said, if you ascribe to Islam, leave now. So you might be saved. Purposely targeting those who are Christians. Worship. You know, it might have been easier for Mary because Jesus was right there. Let me close with this. The Roman general Pompey noticed how the Jews fought to defend their temple. 
back when Rome was sacking Jerusalem. He was anxious to see what was in their most sacred room, the Holy of Holies, that they would defend it to the death. He was surprised to see it was empty. He wondered why they fought so hard to defend an empty room. He didn't understand their concept of a God, eternal, immortal, invisible. What is worship? That's worship. Let it unfold in your life. Let me close in prayer. The worship team is going, the music team is going to come on up and close us in a song, and Mike's going to pray over the offering. And as they prepare for that, this morning I just want to encourage you follow the words, let the words soak into your heart. Don't accept these words with folded arms. Listen to what Christ has for you. Learn to worship like Mary worshipped, even if it's dangerous. Even if it's dangerous. This week, I expect to hear moment after moment after moment after moment how you engaged in worship. Text me. I'll answer it. Text me. All right, Mike, would you please come up and pray for the offering?